Brothers and sisters, the gospel account of the transfiguration is one of these central events in the life of Jesus. And sadly, however, this event in the life of Christ often gets reduced to a simple miracle whereby Jesus changed his appearance and Peter foolishly wanted to stay upon the mountaintop. That interpretation is rather shallow and it's devoid of any theological depth. As we delve into this passage, we see that there's so much more to the transfiguration than Jesus simply changing his appearance. At the heart of the transfiguration is a revelation of the kingdom of God now present in the very person of Jesus Christ. Our gospel reading begins with Jesus ascending Mount Tabor with Peter, James, and John. Now immediately, we should become aware that something important is about to happen. In scripture, mountains are places where people encounter God. Moses ascended Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. God came to Elijah on Mount Carmel and revealed himself as the true God by defeating the priests of the pagan god Baal. So the apostles ascend the mountain, and as they do so, we should expect that they too will encounter God. Sure enough, that's exactly what happens. The apostles experience a theophany, a manifestation of God upon the mountain. They see Jesus transfigured. His face shines, his clothes become dazzling white, and they see him conversing with Moses and Elijah. Now, the meaning of this conversation is often lost on us, as we can easily overlook the significance of Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. And that wouldn't have been lost on a first century Jew who would have heard these scripture readings. This conversation then between Moses and Elijah therefore reveals that in the person of Jesus, the law and the prophets come together into unity. In other words, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And Moses and Elijah not only represent the fullness of the Jewish faith, they also represent the living and the dead. Recall that Moses died and was buried before the Jewish people were able to enter into the promised land. Elijah, on the other hand, was taken alive into heaven in order to appear again and announce the Messiah. The appearance of Moses and Elijah signals that the Messiah, the Savior, is here. That Jesus is the Son of God. The Father himself bears witness to this by saying, This is my chosen Son. Listen to him. Every first century Jew who read this gospel would immediately recognize that St. Luke was making the bold claim that Jesus is the Lord of all creation, the God of the living and the dead. He's the fulfillment of all the theophanies and manifestations of God that have happened throughout history. See, Peter immediately gets this. He says, it is good that we are here. Let us make it three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And again, we can't look at this as 20th century Americans. That is to say, Peter isn't speaking about a camping tent. The word in Hebrew for tent 
is Mishkan, meaning tabernacle, or it's a permanent dwelling place. And this is significant because the event of the transfiguration occurred at the time of the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, when the Jewish people would set up booths for seven days to celebrate the time that they spent wandering in the desert, the time when God walked among them. To a first century Jew, there'd be no confusion what Peter was speaking about. He wasn't speaking about pitching a camping tent, but rather he was acknowledging that he was in the presence of God. Peter grasped that he and the other two apostles were in God's presence. So like the Israelites, he wanted to make booths to celebrate this fact. Yet even as he does this, St. Luke informs us that Peter did not know what he was saying. While Peter grasped that he had witnessed a theophany, what he failed to realize was that the true tent, the true tabernacle, is Jesus himself. And therefore, there was no need to build a tent, a dwelling place for God, because God was already dwelling amongst them in the very person of Jesus Christ. So what we glean from this is that our faith isn't placed in a man-made construct. Our faith is in a person, Jesus Christ. You know, Pope Benedict often spoke of the fact that truth is not a man-made proposition, but it's a person, Jesus Christ. And this, he said, meant that we're to enter into a relationship with the truth. That is to say, we're not simply meant to understand it and to study it. We're not to come to know it on an academic level. We're to form an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, sadly, many Catholics don't understand this critical point of Christianity. According to a study done by the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate, when asked if they believed it was possible to have a personal relationship with God, 40% of Catholics responded in the affirmative. This means that 60% of Catholics either don't know or don't believe that it's possible to have a personal relationship with God. That's a pretty troubling statistic. I think part of the reason for that is that we priests and other religious leaders in the Catholic Church have been negligent in preaching that truth. We've ignored the significance of passages such as the Transfiguration and failed to teach people that God became a human being in order to form an intimate relationship with us. And to be clear, this isn't something that he did just for a small group of people, for those living in the first century, for those who walked and knew him and ate with him and heard him. He did this for all of us. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus tells his followers that he will be with them until the end of time. And Jesus is not a liar. He fulfilled that promise in the sacrament of the Eucharist, where he is truly, really, and substantially present among us. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. And we Catholics can often overlook the significance of the Eucharist. And we receive it so often and so mechanically that we often don't fully acknowledge what it is that we're doing when we receive the Eucharist. 
When we receive the Eucharist, we're receiving Christ into our very own bodies. You know, sharing our bodies with another is the most intimate thing that we human beings do. So by receiving the Eucharist, we're entering into a very intimate relationship with God. Charles de Foucauld once wrote that when we receive the Eucharist, Jesus is as close to us as he was to Mary when he was in her womb. Friends, that's the good news. God dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ, and he continues to dwell among us in the same person of Jesus, present to us in the Eucharist. And this means that we can share life with God here on earth, even as we look forward to sharing life with him in heaven. And this good news prevents us from losing sight of the fact that we're supposed to be entering into a relationship with God. The good news prevents our faith from becoming a series of burdensome rules and policies. For when we enter into a personal relationship with God, the rules and practices of our faith become joyful. You know, I find this true for me even as a priest with celibacy. It's joyful because I no longer see the faith in terms of do's and don'ts or in terms of obligations. I experience it as a way to enter into an intimate union with God. And I hope that you enter into that same joy. I hope that you form an intimate relationship with God who revealed himself in the person of Jesus through events such as the transfiguration. And I hope that that relationship changes your life and brings you to great peace and to great joy. Brothers and sisters, peace to you and to all who experience the joy of truly knowing the transfigured Christ.